1: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
0: Real
2: love is calling, opens up your eyes. Mercy is for with every sunrise. So God puts within his word certain boundaries in a framework. When you understand it in that context, like a loving father who has put up a fence around a dangerous swimming pool that we don't have the capacity sometimes to understand the danger of, then you will appreciate the law and you will appreciate the commandments of God. They are in place to help us, to protect us, to save our lives. Don't look at the laws of God and think they're just a barrier between me and fun. No, they're not. They're actually placed there so that you might enjoy life to the fullest. This
1: is Cornerstone Connection radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Psalms. When God gives us a commandment or a rule, it's not because God hates it when we enjoy ourselves. God's commandments are wholesome and they position our lives in such a way that he can truly bless us. In God's word, we find safety, security, stability, and abundant provision for all our needs. As we study through Psalm 119 in today's study, Pastor Gary will remind us that God's Word exists ultimately to nourish what's best in us so that we might live fruitful, productive lives in Christ. We should never resist God's loving Word. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Psalms, chapter 119, with part two of today's message, The Blessings and Benefits of the Bible. In your your connection, your new
2: life. There is freedom for the person who conducts himself or herself according to the Word of God. Now, how is it that laws, generally, and God's law particularly, actually brings freedom into our lives? Why would the psalmist say this? Because human nature instinctively is to think of rules and laws as restrictive you know for the most part people aren't really jazzed up about rules because rules seem restrictive and like oh what what do i have to do now what's the list of rules and so i think sometimes when people approach the bible and people's perception of christianity who who are not christians is generally along the lines of, you know, you people live a very, you know, tight life. You know, you know you're really wrapped tight because you, you have the bunch of rules you have to live by and, you know, that might be good for you, but I, I would prefer a more free life than that. So here's, here's the real issue. How is it that the Bible produces freedom for us? First of all, it depends on your definition of freedom. We've got to get the definition or else this isn't going to make sense to us. If your definition of freedom is that you get to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, well then no, God's word is not going to be freeing to you. Because there are some things that God says, do not do. So if you think freedom is doing whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, then God's word is not going to be freeing to you. Because there's stuff that God says, don't do. But at the same time, friends, listen, if your definition of freedom is that you get to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, you are not living in a real world. There's no World in our realm of reality where anybody gets to do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Because everybody is accountable to somebody. Okay? You can't do this in this country. You can't just do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want in this country. There are laws, there are rules in place. You can't do that at your work. You can't do that in your marriage. You can't do that here at church either. Why? Because there are rules, there are laws, there are orders that have been put in place for our good and for the benefit of others. There are certain structures and certain boundaries that are put in place in a country, in a church, in a family, in a job. So nobody can just do whatever they want, whenever they want, however they want. So that's your definition of freedom. You're living in a world that doesn't exist. If, on the other hand, your definition of freedom is to be able to live life to the fullest, to be able to live life to the fullest within certain boundaries that are for my good and the good of others, well, then absolutely God's word will bring you freedom. Because God has set parameters and boundaries, and he has written out certain laws that those things don't save us, only Christ saves us. But within the context of the moral framework, if we actually do what those commands say, we actually can enjoy life to the fullest, all right? Now, let, let, me, let me work on this so that we all understand why I say that the Word of God, I don't say the psalmist says it, but why I'm emphasizing that the Word of God provides freedom for our lives. So last month, Terry and I visited for a couple days at, um, at our youth camp. So, so we went up to youth camp for a few days, and one of the things that Terry said to me before we even went was, I want to ride the zip line at youth camp. Like, all right, we can ride the, the zipline at youth camp. But I wasn't all that jazzed about it because I don't like heights. All right, I've done the zipline before at other places. And, you know, I do it, you know, because I need to feel like I've checked the box. You know what I'm saying to you? So I was like, okay, you know, I got to do the zipline. It's a manly thing to do, so I'm going to do the zipline. Uh, but I don't like heights, so I don't like getting up there. And it, does anybody else kind of not like heights? Let me see your hands. Thank you. I'm going to start a support group after church today. <laughs> My name is Gary, and I don't like heights. So, um, and so, but Terry, Terry's like, come on, let's just, and it's like three stories up, you know, and, and, but my wife, she's like this, she's, you know, lady adventure, and, and I, so she's the kite, and I'm kind of the anchor, and, uh, you know, but that's the way we work, we work that way together, she's like, hey, let's try this, and I'm like, hey, we might die, you know, and so... (laughs) There's some things in life, that, you know, like we were in St. Vincent on a mission trip once and she's like, let's jump off of this rock. Now this rock was like, like two stories and down diving into the ocean. I'm like, I'm not doing it. Well, next time we went, I did it because, you know, I couldn't live with myself that I wouldn't jump off the rock. But don't you know that some of the locals were saying to me, oh man, we don't even jump off that rock. Anyway, I survived it to tell you the story, but so here, here Terry and I were, and we're ready to go on the zip line. So, you know, you got the handlebars and you're ready to, you know, drop down from, you know, three stories down to the ground. And, uh, and one of the things that they get you all in is this big harness that, you know, goes on every part of your body. They harness you in in very uncomfortable places. And then, and then you got the safety line and then, and then they clasp you. Right now, I I feel like I have a pretty good grip and I do the distance of it. I feel like I can hold on to this thing and make it to the end, but I gotta tell you, I was very appreciative of the safety clip because the rule, all right, I I was harnessed in, I was clipped in. The rule actually allowed me to enjoy this more. See how that works? Let me illustrate it this way a fence around a swimming pool to a toddler. A fence around a swimming pool is a barrier between himself and herself and fun. That's all they're thinking that fence is. That fence is a barrier between me and fun because that child doesn't know better. That child doesn't know that potentially he or she can drown in that swimming pool unattended. So the fence is actually an important thing to safeguard that child. Now, mom and dad know better because they're older and wiser. And they look at that fence very differently than the child does. The parents look at that fence as a lifesaver. The parents understand that the boundary is actually something that will help that child enjoy that pool to the fullest. But without the fence, there's something very dangerous there. That's the way God's word is. Now listen, we grow up to adults and we play the same game with God. We think that some of his laws are just a fence, a barrier between me and fun. They're not. God's the adult. He's the parent. He kind of knows better. And what he realizes are that there are some things that are not good for us, some things that are potentially harmful, dangerous, destructive, maybe even potentially deadly. So God puts within his word certain boundaries and a framework. When you understand it in that context, like a loving father who has put up a fence around a dangerous swimming pool that we don't have the capacity sometimes to understand the danger of, then you will appreciate the law, and you will appreciate the commandments of God. They are in place to help us, to protect us, To save our lives. Don't look at the laws of God and think they're just a barrier between me and fun. No, they're not. They're actually placed there so that you might enjoy life to the fullest. So that you might experience the wonder of life and the beauty of life and the fullness of life. Without which, left to ourselves, we will enter into situations that are potentially dangerous and destructive and deadly. Embrace God's law. Embrace the commandments as the safeguard of our souls that God has put in place because he loves us as our Father. But it produces freedom. I actually read this article from uh, author William Templeton, who uh, wrote a commentary on understanding Genesis. And and in his commentary, he wrote this. He says, mankind naturally rejects rules and boundaries. However, some rules are necessary. Some are good for our well-being. In some cases, rules make us comfortable and secure. And then he tells this story here, he says, about a preschool that was built in an inner-city environment. He said the school was on a small parcel of land and playground space and facilities were minimal. Right by the playground was a busy highway where many cars and loud buses and trucks traveled constantly. When recess time would come, the small children were so frightened by the noise and close proximity of the traffic that they would go to the other side of the playground and huddle up together against the building. They were fearful of the overwhelming traffic. The school officials decided to put up a fence. Of course, their intended purpose for the fence was to keep the children from getting into the street. However, upon completion of the fence, the usefulness of it was very different. He says, Now with this barrier between the children and the busy street, they were no longer afraid. They began to play all around the playground, sometimes right up against the fence, which was only feet away from the edge of the road, where the noisy traffic was whizzing by. What was meant to be constraining was actually liberating. What was meant to be a barrier was in reality freeing. The psalmist understands this about God's commands. When you live by them, you will actually enjoy life to the fullest. There is freedom in the Word of God. The next thing in our list is taken from the next section, starting at verse 49. If you'll take a glance at verse 49, the Hebrew letter there is pronounced Zion. Zion. Zion verse 49 says, remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me without restraint, but I do not turn from your law. I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night I remember your name, O Lord, and I will keep your law. This has been my practice. I obey your precepts. I want to focus on verses 49, 50, and 52. If you'll notice verse 49, he uses the word hope. In verse 50, he uses the word comfort. And again in verse 52, he says, I remember your ancient laws, O Lord, and I find comfort in them. Number seven on our list is this, that it is a source of hope And comfort. There are certain times in our lives when God's Word will be God's anchor for our soul during stormy times. God's Word will be God's anchor for our soul during stormy times. There will be moments in your life, if you haven't experienced this already, When the only hope and comfort that will satisfy the darkest times of your life can come from God and God alone. As well-intentioned as people are, there are just certain times in your life when no one else will be able to comfort you the way God can. No spouse, no friend, no counselor. Try as hard as they might. There will be certain situations that you and I will go through. And the only hope and comfort that will really meet our deepest needs will come from God through His Word. The psalmist understands this. He says, when I, when I get your Word into my heart, I am comforted. It becomes hope for me, it ministers to my life. When life is at its worst, have you ever noticed when life is at its worst how it reduces men? to be speechless, or to come up with useless cliches and slogans that are of really no value. Although people mean well, but you've heard these kind of slogans. When you're in the worst of times, somebody might come up to you and say, well, you know, look, the going gets tough, but the tough get going. Oh, what a cliche that is. Or, Or someone might say, you know, when life gives you a bunch of lemons, just make lemonade. Have you ever heard that one before? That is just the cheesiest cliche I've ever heard. When life gives you a bowl of lemons, just make lemonade. Yeah, well, you drink it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, when when you're going through something, the last thing you need is some cheesy slogan, okay? What we need is to know, does God still care? Does God love me through this? Does he know what I'm going through? Does can he can he feel what i'm going through will he deliver me from this will he help me through it if he doesn't take me from it is there a purpose in all of this and the answers to those questions will not come through cheap slogans they will only come because you take god's word and you allow it to minister to your soul and allow it to bring hope and comfort to you in your darkest time Get into God's word. Allow the word of God to begin to just bathe your heart and mind with his precious promises of hope and comfort. Verses like Deuteronomy 31, 8, which reminds us that the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Or Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We need to be reminded of these things and we'll only be reminded of these things to the degree that we get into God's word. Psalm 62, 5, find rest, O my soul, in God alone my hope comes from him. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The last that we're going to look at today, point number eight, is found from the next section, beginning at verse 57. It is pronounced chet. The H there is pronounced with a guttural, ch. don't turn to your neighbor neighbor and try it or you'll spit all over his or her face. And the TH is actually a hard T, so it's chet. That's how you pronounce that letter. Verse 57, he says, you are my portion, O Lord, I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to give you thanks for your righteous laws. I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. The earth is filled with your love, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. So I wanted to highlight verse 63 with you because in verse 63, again, the psalmist writes, I am a friend to, if you have a New King James or an ESV, it says, I am a companion of, I am a friend to or a companion of all who fear you to all who follow your precepts. Number eight, God's word will bless me with good friends. He says, I am a friend I'm a companion to all who fear you. You know, the wonderful thing about the word is that it will sift out bad friends and it will spotlight good ones. The word of God will help us to sift out bad friends and highlight good ones. It will guide me into making right decisions about the people with whom I associate and even more than that, the people who are closest in my circle of influence. I've said this a few months ago, but this is true. Look, all of us, because we're, you know, we're, we're, social people at large, you know, you you can't avoid people. That's just the way life goes. So you have a wide circle of people that you don't even know, strangers. And then the circle gets closer. So then you have like, you know, acquaintances. Then you have maybe some close associates. Then you have friends that kind of form a closer inner circle. And among those, you have two or three who are really tight. Okay. We have to be very, very careful about the ones that we allow to be the influencers of our lives. And the psalmist is saying here that part of the benefit of God's word is that it helps me to sift out the people that should be closest to me. I am a friend, I'm a companion of those who fear you. And he knows that there's an inner circle that he has to protect. And so because he makes mention here that the Bible is a great way to give us Wisdom and the benefit and the blessing of choosing our friends, I just wanted to highlight five important things, and i 'm going to run through this list very quickly, uh, because if you 're looking at your watch you're like aren 't you done? Yeah, I will be soon, but it 's okay because <laughs> you don 't want to miss this because you know I want, I want you to get the dessert too, so don 't check out before dessert. So he gives us some important things in his word, God does, about how wise tips on friends, wise tips on friends. Now, the first one is taken right here from this passage because he says again there in verse 63 that I am a friend to all who fear you, to all who follow your precepts. So, someone who knows the Lord and follows his commands would be the first criteria of someone who should be your friend. Now, I'm talking about the inner circle. Obviously, we're going to have a wider circle of people that don't know the Lord. That's fine. We're supposed to be salt and light in this world. Okay, so... I'm just speaking here directly of those who are your closest friends, the ones who are going to influence you the most, the ones that you will influence the most. They should know the Lord. And they should have the same fear of God and for the fear of the Lord that you do because any friend of God is a friend of mine. Any friend of God is a friend of mine. But we have to be choosy about the ones that we allow closest to us. So that has to be the first thing, someone who knows the Lord and follows his commands. The second one is someone who loves at all times. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A true friend is someone who's going to love you even on your ugly days. All right? Even on your days when you're moody or even on your days when you're, you know, uptight or or down or whatever it might be, a true friend is going to love you thick and thin. They love you in good days. They love you in bad days. They love you warts and all. That's a true friend. And if a true friend doesn't love you even when you're having a bad day, they're not a true friend. Right? Now, some of this stuff is a no brainer. I know. I'm making us look at this list here, and it's like, well, some of these things are pretty self explanatory. But why is it that so many people have wasted their lives be- because they've been, if you will, under the influence? It's a bad drug, under the influence of bad friends. Because they haven't followed these kind of things. They haven't been as choosy as they need to be. And the Bible gives us wisdom about how to choose friends. Number three is really the second part of Proverbs 17 17. The other part of it, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So a true friend is someone who is there for you during adversity. This is someone who's not just there during the good times. They're not a fair-weathered friend, but someone who is there through thick and thin. Number 4, the Bible also counsels us that we should choose a friend someone who can keep a confidence. This is important. Proverbs 11:13 says a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. If you have someone that you believe is a friend and they've talked to someone else about something that you told them not to say, get a new friend. They're not a true friend because a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man, a friend, keeps a confidence, keeps a secret. And number five, lastly, a a true friend is someone who speaks the truth even when it hurts. You know, you, you don't want... Someone around you that will only tell you what you want to hear. A true friend is going to also sometimes say stuff you don't want to hear. But they say it in love. And Proverbs 27, 5, and 6 says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You know, Judas was an enemy of Jesus because he betrayed him. And he showed his betrayal by just smothering him with kisses. Okay, but a true friend is one who will sometimes say this stuff to you, even when it hurts. Because a a wound from a friend can be trusted. So, the benefits and blessings of God's Word. Number five, it takes away disgrace. Number six, it produces freedom. Number seven, it is a source of hope and comfort. And number eight, it will bless me with good friends.
1: Each psalm we read is intended to point us to one thing, the sovereignty of our Creator. Through pain, tears, joy, and praise, we meet a new characteristic of God with each new chapter. Though we don't know the melodies that accompany this collection of old, we benefit from the deeply passionate and poetic words. We hope your soul has been touched by the teaching you heard today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will return soon with more from this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to find additional messages at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd like to encourage you to download our mobile app while you're there so you can stay connected to God's Word wherever you happen to be. Each day can be made brighter by the love and power of our Lord. And it's so convenient to have it right at your fingertips. If you live in or are visiting the Leesburg area, We'd love for you to come be a part of our weekly worship services on Sundays. Cornerstone Chapel meets at 8:30, 10, and 11:45 a.m. each week. Or try our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. For directions and more information, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today, but be sure to join us next time for another in-depth look at the Psalms, right here on Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say your so that you've got no place to go but still you know, still you know. you're not a